every region needs a solid set of data to prove how regenerative agriculture works in and within their own context. And I think there's no going around the fact that humans need to do that. Mm-hmm. I think technology is very good at propagating successful recipes. This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Orat is talking to those special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to The Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Karim Alexander Howard. Karim is a Swiss-born entrepreneur with a track record of scaling early-stage startups to become unicorns. Drawing from his experience, he's passionately dedicated to delivering quality products that address vital challenges, particularly in the field of regenerative agriculture. After a year of hands-on farming experience across Europe, he recognized the pressing need for practical and inclusive solutions that align with nature and cater to all communities. Karim is committed to leveraging his experience to scale regenerative solutions driven by the desire to solve problems that generally matter. Welcome, Karim, to The Butterfly Effect. Hi, Tali. It's a pleasure to be here. Karim, it's, it's really great to have you here. Can you maybe start with sharing your story of what inspired you to shift from tech startups and unicorns to regenerative agriculture? Sure, sure. Well, hopefully the idea is to, to combine both of them together. But um, I think um, in the sort of late days of the, of the pandemic, I actually uh, went to uh, Epping Forest in London with my sister. That day, I actually, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Epping Forest, Tally, but it's a, it's a beautiful place. Merlin Sheldrake talks about it in, in his books around, about fungi. And uh, essentially, I think from, from, from that day onwards, I sort of felt when I was in such uh, environments, I felt really good. And that got me very curious. And I thought, okay, <laughs> why is it that I, that I feel so good after, uh, you know, sitting, uh, sitting and working in front of my computer screen when I'm in Epping Forest? And from then, I um, actually got a uh, working experience in uh, Switzerland, mm-hmm. near where I grew up. And one thing led to another. And uh, from that farm, I actually went to work on uh, a farm uh, down here in Portugal, mm-hmm. in the Algarve, and then in Alentejo. And um, I kind of caught the bug, I guess. And um, from then on, I was working with certain farmers. and. Specifically, the farmer that I was with in Switzerland, she actually worked for uh, the United Nations as well with diverse international programs. Um, so she kind of had both the, let's say, office job mind and then the farm mind. Mm-hmm. And so um, she took really great care to, to take me under her wing and explain to me various aspects of the farm and how things worked. And I sort of realized the extreme complexity of what running a farming system is like. And I, I really wanted to also learn how the farming profession was changing because that farmer actually, I mean, she was, she was organically certified, but she also told me that there were new frontiers and lots of farmers are experimenting with ways of regenerating soil. And from there, I actually found a, a regenerative uh, agriculture course down in Portugal. 
combining some theory and, and, and some practice and kind of understanding the principles and the basics of, of soil dynamics and soil life. And I think that that got the, the wheels ticking. And what I sort of realized is that a lot of farmers are doing uh, really important work um, and that the, the movement is happening in, in, in various corners of the world and that we're sort of at this fringe where, where things are about to take off. By training, I, I scale solutions that have been piloted by people. I thought, okay, well, maybe there's a, there's a role for me to jump onto. Beautiful. So as someone who successfully scaled startup, as you said, what is the unique perspective that you're bringing to the field of regenerative agriculture or any technology using in, in farming? Well, I think when you are looking to scale something that works and you're looking to distribute it and, and bring it to a wider audience, you have to develop a certain flair for recipes that work. And you have to be able to explain and distill those recipes mm -hmm. and be able to, to, to pass them on. And I think this approach is particularly challenging in the realm of farming just because the parameters are so radically altered based on crop, on soil type, on location, and, and on farm setup. Mm -hmm. So extracting those common recipes is, is, is a tough job, to be honest with you. So how do you do it? Well, first things, you, you have to actually observe what's being done on the ground. Um, you have to speak to, in the case of regenerative agriculture, a lot of farmers and have a decent understanding of the profession, of the dynamics, of their pain points and of, of what motivates them. So you can kind of get basically a base picture so you can understand how they think. I think this is really what you're trying to get to. I mean, I often say that because by craft I'm a product manager, I often say that a good product manager thinks like a detective, meaning that they know that they need to put themselves in the shoes of the criminal in order to be able to sort of solve the case. Right. You have to predict how your user will be using your product and how they will emotionally interact with it and what they will be driven by and what they will be having an aversion to. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that, that is really step one. You've got to put yourself in their mind and you've got to think like a detective. Then I would say you want to identify a set of problems that are painful enough for them and that are poorly solved currently. So I'm going, I'm going quite, quite general right now, but I think you want to sort of find okay, there is this task that I need to regularly carry out. And the way I do this today is fairly rusty, right? And there's an opportunity that is big enough for me to actually transition to a new solution that will do this better for me. As an example, so with Farmon, so my company, we actually created a product a regenerative hotline where farmers can get in touch with experts. Mm -hmm. And the alternative solution today for these farmers is either to ask their peers, which works very well in, in most of the cases, except that sometimes I may be a farmer that doesn't have regenerative farmers near me, or I have to hire an agronomist by the day. And that agronomist has to drive over to my farm. They're gonna charge me by the hour. You know, that may, may be fairly expensive, right? So this is, this is kind of the perfect case of the 
job that is kind of painful sometimes to carry out, right? Especially if I'm completely altering the way I'm farming, I'm going to need quite a lot of support. And most farmers can't really afford an agronomist for the amount of hours that are required for that. So you were talking about like pain points. I, I'm just curious and want to take a little bit of a step back. What are common pain points that you see them bringing up when they reach out to you, right, for farm on, they're able to get an answer? I mean, there are lots of pain points that are very diversified and across the board. But I think as a company, you kind of have to make a choice around, okay, this is a pain point that we're well positioned to solve ourselves. And you have to kind of make a decision around focus there. So those, those pain points vary from cash flow management and general finances towards, you know, you have access to market issues, which they also kind of ask us about, but the, the majority of our focus is around access to knowledge. And namely, you know, the one thing that we really focus on the most is access to operational knowledge. So meaning I've made a decision that I'm going to farm regeneratively and I'm going to implement cover crops and, and go on low tilling on, on such and such field. However, now a million questions arise, right? Like what type of machinery do I need to use? Okay, what's the best you know, species to plant as a cover crop, et cetera. And as I progress, I need somebody to give me like a yay or nay to de-risk the decisions I'm taking, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the hardest part of any job is decision-making, right? What should I do here? And when you're taking a decision, it can be very nerve-wracking, right? Because I mean, especially in the case of a farmer, I mean, the, the, the cyclical nature of the business means that, you know, one wrong call can cost the entire yearly harvest. Yeah, the risks are high. So the idea is to have a buddy to help you de-risk what you're doing, right? In the same way that maybe people use ChatGPT before sending an email these days. <laughs> okay, so tell me some of the success stories because at the end, why would a farmer go to a technology versus another farmer that they know unless there is a success story that they know, oh, wait, it helped this one, so I might as well give them a call. I can trust them to hold my hands and lower my risks. We have a farmer who, um, okay, this is a scenario that we often see where you have the, the, farmer, the, the farmer son that has to, that is working with the dad. I mean, often it's a son and a dad. Mm -hmm. And the father is perhaps aging and the son doesn't really know lots of pieces of the farm because, you know, the father is sort of closer to the finances and... Um, wants to stay, you know, relevant. I mean, kind of traditional, kind of generational uh, dynamics that we see. And sometimes the son wants, I don't know if the right word is alibi here, uh, probably not, but wants a support system, a validation system for their approach. And generally the new generation will be vouching for new ways and more innovative and creative ways of farming. So they, they need, solid arguments around why a certain approach will be useful. And we have very specific farmers, mostly around the Netherlands, who have actually convinced their fathers or their parents to implement regenerative plots on their farms because of the advice that we've given them. Mm -hmm. And essentially say, look, I'm 
on this app and there's a bunch of experts and I've spoken to them many times and this is what they recommend. And this is the research that they've given us to back up their recommendation. And they've also told us about some precedent in the region that has done the same thing. Let's do it. And then eventually the parents are like, sure, let's try it. Let's do two or three hectares, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we've encountered multiple times. And I would say that's that's actually a huge victory because all these people need is this extra support, this extra momentum to actually make the leap. Yeah. Somebody to hold their hand. Exactly. And do you see a lot of young farmers in, in the market now? Or is it still a very old generation holding everything? Well, I mean, if we look at the, the full demographic, it's still the old generation holding, but the ones that are changing tend to be younger. And so those are the ones that we're mostly working with. Also because they tend to be digital natives. I mean, I think it's farmers tend to be more reliant on personal contact, mm-hmm. even more, I would say, that, than, than us urbanites. So, so the digitization process is much slower, right? I mean, there's this element of, do I actually trust this person? And the trust equation is a big one for us. And how do you solve it? <laughs> well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what it boils down to is seeing names that they trust. And seeing names that they trust can mean multiple things. It can mean us having worked with people they know, us working with organizations they trust, us working with experts they trust. Mm -hmm. And then there's also an element of trust building on the longer run. So we hold webinars, we hold sessions where farmers can actually meet our experts and sort of see for themselves whether or not they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think it's um, trust is uh, cemented on many layers and basically it takes time for, for those layers to accumulate yeah and how do you envision technology playing a role in advancing regenerative agriculture practices technology will probably play a bigger role once we are more in the expansion phase i mean i think right now regenerative agriculture to be honest with you is mostly in the piloting phase and i think every region needs a solid set of data to prove how regenerative agriculture works in and within their own context. And I think there's no going around the fact that humans need to do that. Mm -hmm. I think technology is very good at propagating successful recipes. And I think that the the piloting work is still kind of quite heavy at this phase, to be honest with you. Yeah. So what is the biggest challenging to bring us to the scaling, which is your expertise? Well, the thing with farming is that this kind of risk profile is immense, right? Mm -hmm. Every year I perhaps take a loan in order to buy, be it my machinery, be it the inputs that I need. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm on this constant kind of existential wheel where every year we'll determine, you know, I mean, it's kind of like not knowing what your annual salary will be until, until the end of the year. Yeah. And relying entirely on, you know, how successful I was with my practices, on the quality of my soil in that moment, on the quality of my inputs of my seeds, etc. And so I think that there's really an element of, yeah, getting that right. So AI is like the new buzz. Is there room for it to help in scaling? 
well, the thing is, in order to scale, you need for the pilots to be and the recipes to be propagatable enough. Mm-hmm. And this is where AI is very interesting, right? Because I think what AI has the capacity to do is it has the capacity to extract recipes by itself. I mean, what AI does is it goes through large sets of data. And it sees the patterns in it. And it detects the correlations, right? So mm-hmm. as a human, traditionally, as a human farmer, you might say, okay, we have these experiments here and here and here. Uh, okay, we know that beetroot in the context of southern France works this way. And you have to do this and this and this practice. However, how this transposes to Italy, we have no idea, Tali. I mean, basically... <laughs> I mean, this is the funny thing about farming is that we can assume how things will translate, but there are very, very few people who understand what variable has what impact, if you know what I mean. A lot of people only have localized contextual experience. But if I asked them and I said, hey, if I was to change this one parameter, would this still work? Very few people could answer with confidence. And this is what's really interesting and where AI jumps in because, I mean, what AI does is it looks at a bunch of parameters and then makes a prediction, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to say, all right, I mean, if I'm growing this vegetable in this soil at this time of year using this practice, what will be the outcome? Will I have yield or not? That is exactly what AI is designed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you have a prediction curve there. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to insert ourselves in the middle of the piloting phase of Region Ag, which we're still in, extract those variables and be able to accelerate and bypass some of the piloting that we would normally need to do were AI not to be here. So that means that we enhance human and farmer intelligence with AI by really understanding what those recipes are. Am I making sense? Yeah, and I'm just thinking, do you bring all parameters in? So uh, biodiversity, ecosystem, right. uh, patterns on uh, weather, changing of weather due to climate change, all those things, or not, not yet? Right, well, basically, the thing is, Right now, the main focus of the parameters that we're kind of pulling in is the conversations that we have with the farmer. I think a lot of companies are focusing on, you know, our intuition because we're in such a techno-optimistic world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Technology is exciting. Technology um, is equated with, um, you know, profitable business, IP, what have you. Um, So sometimes we, we tend to get very excited by it. And so we tend to say, okay, like, you know, we have the eye of the sky through satellites that's actually looking at what's happening in the fields. And uh, we have a bunch of uh, internet of things, kind of equipment that can measure this and can measure that. And we, and a lot of people tend to bypass, okay, but are you actually recording the conversations you're having with your farmers? Because the farmer is the best sensor, if I may use that word on the farm, because they actually know 
And, you know, a farmer wakes up in the morning and goes in the fields and can immediately tell if something's gone wrong or something's off. Mm-hmm. Not only can they tell, but they can, they also can interpret it and they can say, oh, this is probably because of that. Yeah. So if you capture the conversation between the farmer and the agronomist, you not only have the most relevant data from the farm, because that's what the human is aware of, but also you have the interpretation of it. This is just to kind of show, sometimes we get excited about technology, but in this case, AI is probably best at interacting with humans directly. And then of course you can enhance that with any detector in the soil, you know, from satellites and from any other equipment that you have, but this is the starting point. Yeah, yeah. And how do you see regenerative agriculture evolving in the next decade? Well, um, I mean, I think that there is definitely a quantum leap that is going to happen at some point, and that quantum leap will be when insurances are going to insure regeneratively grown crops. And that's the kind of that's the binary that's the binary moment because as long as crops as regenerative regeneratively grown crops are not insured, um, that's just too much risk to bear on the farmer. I mean, you got to see it as a bridge that that people are crossing. Like imagine, <laughs> I, I like to think of this metaphor. Imagine that there's a canyon, and that we got across this canyon, and the first person is just going to throw a rope with a hook across the canyon and is going to crawl on that rope, right? Yeah. And then when they're going to get there, the second person is going to throw a rope with a hook, but maybe they're going to tie it to the first rope, and the first person's already there, and then the third person you know, will come in and then they can, they can maybe build a bridge made of rope. And then the fourth person, you know, et cetera, et cetera, until you've got the Golden Gate Bridge and everybody will, will be willing to cross because anybody will be willing to take that risk, right? So yeah. as time goes by, the risk goes down because more people have crossed before you. But most people are not willing to be pioneers and are not willing to t- take risks because it just takes a certain personality type for that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can't have mass adoption until you reduce the risk. And this is precisely what we're trying to do. We're trying to insert certainty into what the farmers are doing and say, if I do that, I have a 95% chance of my crop growing on the other side. So I think that this is this is definitely kind of a make or break, or, or let's call it like the, a binary switch moment, which it's very hard to, to say when that's going to happen. I mean, there's probably going to be local insurance. We have companies like AXA Climate that are exploring still pilots that are very in, in, in very early stages. AXA, mm-hmm. the insurance company. Yeah. But there's really no nothing even close to a regenerative crop insurance program at the moment. There's just not enough scientific and experimental data yet. It's very interesting because I'm thinking about uh, what we started with and you were talking about regenerative agriculture in terms of um, the soil and other elements and, and, and healthy crops. And that's definitely what we see when we do regenerative agriculture and versus the traditional you know, monocrops. And I'm just, maybe we should just take a step back and understand right, the value in, in helping us protect the ecosystem and just think, how do we connect that with the insured part of all of it, right? How, how do we connect mm-hmm. the dots? And maybe that's that's your job. So I'm just, you know, just throwing it out there. Well, I think 
people have tried to do that and they have um i mean there's the whole thing around ecosystem services ecosystem services is when you pay someone to well like in including in the economy things that the ecosystems do right because we live in an economy where i can sell copper or cobalt but you know i'm not technically paying nature which has produced it right i mean there's a whole there's a whole part of the economy that's not included so to speak um so ecosystem services is trying to broaden the scope of that and trying to give credits you know carbon credits biodiversity credits and things like that and of course it has its own pitfalls and caveats and you know the carbon credit market has had some reputational issues even though i think in the long run it is the way to go Mm-hmm. It's just a question of which iteration will will be successful and which iteration will be legitimate, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the other angle, just because, you know, I, I don't know, Tully, like I try and be pragmatic about this and I try and think a lot about what humans want and don't want. And I think that we all inherently want to live on a flourishing planet and on a thriving planet. And I think that, you know, a lot of people suffer from from eco anxiety and so it affects them in a personal manner but i think ultimately things that affect you more directly are things that you're going to maybe like take more action on and and one thing that i've realized is maybe the angle that's more appealing at least to consumers and the idea that gut health and soil health are related mm-hmm. and this is a very this is a very interesting notion for people to be aware of And I feel like whenever people hear this, their eyes kind of go wide. But the fact that, you know, the fact that when you have a diverse soil microbiome and you grow crops in that soil and you eat those crops, then as a result, your gut microbiome is also diverse and healthy. And therefore, this changes your mood and your behavior. I mean, there are studies that prove that you know, alpha wolves in the in the wolf pack have a different microbiome. I mean, this is just to illustrate yeah. how much your behavior can change just because of the state of your microbiome. And I think that when you start speaking to people around their moods changing, all of a sudden it's a very different discussion. Maybe that's the angle to go from the consumer side. Let's consume crops that were generated in a regenerative farm setting versus a traditional one. Because we want to live healthier, but on the other hand, you know what I'm taking it back because we had all this organic thing, and we still have people not buying into organic and and what is it because of all the problems so i I don't know yeah mm. I would see it as the most likely angle to take on to be honest with you, especially as we kind of progress into the mental health crisis, which probably is going to be in favor of this argument coming forth. People are going to be, yeah, people are going to want to engineer their moods, right? And they're going to want to say, okay, well, what I eat is going to affect how I feel. Well, sure, I'm going to feel good. So I'm just going to eat something that makes me feel good. I'm wondering if, if it means that you're going to take uh, the, I'm going to eat a strawberry to make me feel happy versus I'm going to eat a carrot to make me feel, I don't know what. Is that? In that respect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Um, it's... I mean, look at how much our eating habits have have shifted over the last ten years. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary when you look at it, right? Um, I, I I don't know how how it has been um, kind of from your point of view in the u s, but I mean the the awareness 
around food consumption has shifted so drastically that I, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point, to be honest. Um, yeah, fair point. Yeah. 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 So what advice would you give an individual or organization that is looking to transition into the regenerative agriculture, want to get involved in sustainable practices based on, you know, your extensive expertise and knowledge in this field? I mean, I think probably, probably lengthy observation of the farm is a good starting point. I think, uh, I mean, this is assuming that it's somebody who just bought a farm, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a good, a good starting point would be observing the farm over a period of time and understanding how the farm changes over the seasons. I wouldn't kind of leapfrog into a massive uh, change. I would go at it progressively and iteratively and look at what could be the first small step that I could take um, in order to learn and iterate how my piece of land is, is reacting to me changing. I would go about it that way. So it's really interesting as you say that I'm thinking a second ago we were talking about AI and ChatGPT and how fast things are progressing and then you're telling me okay wait hold on wait a second do it slowly and and take pieces of pieces <laughs> of changes right it's just it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't add up especially if you're thinking of a young person you know that we want to do it fast and and efficient and in theory ai should already map our solution and we just need to apply it so i'm just yeah just an observation well you've you've just pointed at the very paradox of working with nature one that is that the pace of humanity <laughs> has to be recalibrated to the pace of of the rest of nature because i mean <laughs> humanity and nature are not separate they're just separate compartments of it and um yes there is a recalibration of pace to be done absolutely um but there is a certain urgency of how things need to scale but also at the farm level for things to be successful right now you have to go in iterations but then this is assuming that there's a farm without any neighbors and anything that's worked there right because we just don't really have the data yet um so i would still i would still advise to go in progressive steps now the larger scale if every farm could do that then we'd be there in five years you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so fast scale of propagation but you know within a farm go iteratively and progressively i would say yeah it's um being mindful right it's it's taking that yes. back be mindful of reconnect to nature which is probably the solution for all of our problems in a way um okay reconnecting yes, with nature <laughs> so reconnecting yes. with nature i have to ask you uh reconnecting with nature you started with going to the forest so i'll, I'll ask you that question and it doesn't have to be necessarily from that forest but what is your favorite tree i would actually have to say pine tree I've never actually really intellectualized the reason why that is. <laughs> But um well, I like the way they're actually scaped in southern Europe. I think they are the most beautiful of trees. I think they're extremely elegant and graceful. The fact that they're fragrant and the fact that they're resilient, you know, in very dry 
arid, humid, warm climates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looping it back to uh, them also being evergreen. <laughs> I would have to say pine trees. I love it, Karim. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for, you know, enlightening us on regenerative agriculture and how we can actually incorporate technology in order to scale up, even if it's slowly. So thank you. Thank you, Tali. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me, and I hope you can join me next time. And remember, it only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change.